0: Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean
1: Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham, coming at you today nearly live. We're in Ottawa, Ontario City, with a lot of statues. Most people, when they come to Ottawa as tourists, will eventually, at some point, make a trip over to Parliament Hill. And if you've been, you know that behind center block there are statues. Lots and lots of statues, primarily of former prime ministers. There's also a Queen Victoria statue back there as well. And uh, recently, the issue of statues has come back into the news. On August the 28th, in Montreal, protesters did tear down a statue of Sir John A. Macdonald as part of a protest. And it reignited the debate, at least in the media in this country, about the place of statues and this is something that has been ongoing for years as to what role statues play in the public commemoration space and, and how much of an influence do they have on history and I wanted to revisit an episode that we recorded a couple years ago with Tanya Davidson, a great sociologist from Carleton University who looks at statues, who looks at their place in public spaces It's episode 120 called Decoding Monuments and Memorials. We're going to run the audio of that again. It's a great episode. It's one of my favorites that we've ever done. I talked to Tanya and then we walk through downtown Ottawa and we actually walk through and around some of the monuments in Confederation Park and then right outside City Hall. We don't make it to Parliament Hill. We we look at some of the other maybe lesser known ones or less visited ones, uh, certainly ones that are in less prominent spaces than what you have over on Parliament Hill. Uh, And then we go back and and talk again about what it all means. And it's one of my favorites. I really enjoyed recording it. And as I said on the show back then, and I still feel this way, if anything, I feel even more strongly about it. I dislike statues for so many reasons. And one of which is that I don't think they adequately or, or properly convey History. There's a quote from the premier of Quebec following the protest in Montreal, in which he said that we must fight racism, but destroying parts of our history is not the solution. And certainly Francois Legault and his government in Quebec have every right to say that. I would just push back and say that statues aren't history. And I I think I've tried to be pretty clear about this in my position is that statues to individuals are not an effective way of conveying history because there's no subtlety to them. There's really no messaging other than this was a great person. It's literally taking a representation of a person and putting them on a pedestal. And that's not what history is. History is trying to understand the human experiences and the human stories. And I really legitimately believe that putting up a statue to somebody is dehumanizing. It doesn't acknowledge or allow even for the existence of failures on that person's part or of struggles on that person's part and that I think is a problem and that's why I don't like them. I'm okay with memorials, I'm even okay with monuments that commemorate moments or events and maybe it's a distinction without a difference, I I really don't know. But if you want to put up a statue or a monument that is representative of this thing, thing, this one thing that happened, I'm okay with it, but not to a whole person. Because again, it doesn't leave space to acknowledge their failures, their struggles. That doesn't allow for a full understanding of their human experience because nobody is perfect. That's what makes humanity so interesting to study. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does things that are wrong. And certainly people do things that are not necessarily mistakes. They're actively bad and and seeking to harm people and we have to allow space in the historical discussion for that conversation to take place so me personally when people say well if we take down this statue where does it stop does it include this person or this person or this person my answer is always yeah it includes those people and it's the same for me on naming stuff i don't like naming things after people either <laughs> Yeah, i really don't i think you we can take the names down of everything that's ever been named after a person if you want to name it after something they did that's different because you're acknowledging the act you're acknowledging a moment as opposed to the person in their entirety so that's where i stand on it i talked to tanya about this i feel as though i'm sort of on the extreme end of historians in this regard of just take everything down Uh, But you know we we talk about this in in some detail. So because this has become such an issue again, we wanted to rerun it. And Tanya is just so good at looking at monuments and really great at explaining why they're there. Because that's another thing that doesn't get discussed enough in the debate over whether statues should be taken down. They they just says we're taking down history. Don't do, do don't do that. Don't take down history. But We have to truly understand why they were put up in the first place and very rarely if ever is a statue to a person put up to teach future generations their full history that's not really why they're put up so this is the discussion i had with tanya davidson a couple years ago please enjoy you do what are essentially historic walking tours Uh of ottawa well
0: my my research is and has been for a long time on the sociology of statues so as a sociologist i understand statues as not these sort of things that are reflective of the past or stuck in the past but as things that are very much of the present and as these sort of urban subjects that have very dynamic social lives Mm. so i treat them in the present which is what sociologists do but of course uh, because they are, I just said they didn't represent the past, but they do in <laughs> they, certain well, yeah. ways. I mean, they, they do. <laughs> yeah, so it is, it's, uh, my my tours are sociological and and historical, but I'm really interested in how engagements with monuments have changed over time and what people do at monuments. So unless the history of, of the subject being commemorated is always very important, uh, but I'm really interested in... in monuments in the present moment and in the urban environment
1: yeah we should i should say too that you gave one of my classes a tour in the fall Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. probably the worst night possible to do a walking tour it was cold and rainy yeah yeah. uh, it was it was not ideal but it was still a lot of fun and one of the things though that i found interesting in doing the tour is taking the step from these are history they're like a statue is in a way a public history thing, but you're taking it from a sociological perspective. Mm-hmm. So how then do we manage the relationship between the past and the present when we're looking at these things? Because ultimately that that's really what you're doing.
0: Well, one thing that, that I always sort of say about statues is that they don't have a predetermined life course actually I don't always say that but that was a nice turn of phrase (laughs) and and that uh, like just because you've erected something in a square does not mean that it will or should stay there right Right. because society is dynamic and uh, monuments are very distinct from things like books or you know museum artifacts in that you can't really avoid them. They're so present in our urban environment. So one thing that my research showed and that I really sort of kept saying in light of the Charlottesville protests in the United States um, is that the idea of, of taking down monuments is does not change the past, but it does reflect our relationship to the past mm. in ways that, that are very powerful. Right. So I think one thing that like monuments, should they be torn down? Absolutely. should. They, but other things that can be done with monuments are put them in the basements of museums and say, yes. this is something we once thought was so important. It should be an essential part of our city. Now we think that this history is much more, you know, We have other things to put in the center of our city. So there are other things that can be done with complicated monuments. But also people have done things, and we see this in Ottawa, of keeping monuments but changing the plaques. Offering different sort of more nuanced explanations. So, for example, in Ottawa at the uh, Monument to Champlain, for a long time, the plaque that accompanied, accompanied it said, Samuel de Champlain, the first great Canadian right that plaque Champlain's still there that plaque's not there mm. and now there's a much more nuanced plaque so there there are many ways that uh our understanding of the past sort of unfolds in the present
1: yeah because that context is lacking when it's in a square right mm-hmm. and i've started working with the historic sites and monuments board of canada over at parks canada and one of the things that they do is write plaques mm-hmm. and it's interesting to sort of see the process that you don't have a lot of space. Mm-hmm. There's certain language that you need to use or maybe not use in some cases. It has to be translatable as well, mm-hmm. whether you write it in English or write it in French. The translation has to make sense. Like There's all these factors that go into a plaque that don't allow for really a full context to it. Mm-hmm. And a statue has no context. It's just a statue. Right. And one of the things that I always say to people when they asked me about taking statues down, because we'll get to my rather extremist position on this (laughs) in a little bit, is that if you take it, like, it without context, it becomes an honorific to somebody, Mm -hmm. and maybe it shouldn't be an honorific, Mm -hmm. and I get the sense from you is that you would agree with that, and part of what you're trying to accomplish with the walking tours is that contact.
0: Yeah, yeah. For
1: sure. So I had had, um, one other thing um, to say.
0: So I don't want to present the idea that our understanding of history is going in this sort of one direction. Also, monuments, as we also saw with Charlottesville and also with the Cornwallis statue in Halifax, they are sites where a lot of sort of nostalgia for very violent histories Mm. is generated. Right. So it's like these monuments are not or responses to them do not go in a singular direction. Right. And this is what, as a sociologist, I find sort of fascinating, is the deep ambivalence of, of monuments. So you can have at the same place um, a site that allows for all sorts of post-colonial resistance and all sorts of colonial nostalgia, and it's mm. all sort of coalescing around this, this, uh, this monument. So they really are these sort of enablers of bringing to the fore otherwise not visible social tensions.
1: Right, and, and as you say, that can change over time because I'm always struck by war memorials, like mm-hmm. the the ones that were just spread up all over the country in the 1920s that for a lot of people were essentially headstones for sons who never came home. Mm-hmm. So they were sites, very, very funerary in their meaning, but now those people who use them as those sites are gone. And so the way in which those sites are now used are very different. Now it's much more commemorative, Mm -hmm. if not even celebratory, of the war and Canada's role in the war. So, like you say, it's not a static meaning. It changes based on time and place. And I honestly wonder, because my friend Sarah Karn, who I've worked with on the Vimy Foundation, she's mentioned that there are historians who believe that the two world wars will eventually be studied as one conflict as we get further and further away from it, and the time doesn't seem as as far away, that that'll eventually happen. So what does that change then to the meaning of the monuments and all that? So it's always gonna be in flux and always going Mm -hmm. to be changing. But for you, giving walking tours of these sites, I I would have to imagine that when most tourists come, they want to see whatever it is, Sir John A., certainly the War Memorial, Mm maybe the Indigenous War Memorial or whatever. It's not a memorial, whatever, right. whatever, whatever it's the a word Aboriginal is. Aboriginal
0: War Veterans Memorial. Is it a memorial? Yeah. Okay,
1: so they would want to see sort of those types of things and, and maybe other ones that are on the Hill, but they would have an expectation of what those things are and what they mean. Mm-hmm. So what is the reaction that you get from people when you launch into this whole explanation of how these things are very much moving targets and sites of evolving meaning? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one of the things I do, so I give two walking tours for this little alternative walking tour company called Detours. Just Google Detours Ottawa. and It'll come up and it's great. And they do, there are monthly tours that are, uh, and then there are sort of by request tours. And one tour that I give, which involves a lot of the monuments on Parliament Hill, is uh, I, I talk about the sort of ambivalence of monuments, but also just at the moments of commemoration, sort of, Offer a little bit of discussion of what's not visible. So, right. if, for example, at the famous Five Monument on Parlor yes, Hill. Yes, yes. Forget the exact uh, name of it. Uh, so, they're really nice, sort of writing about the persons case of 1929 and the fame five women that pushed for women to be named persons so they could be appointed to the Senate. Um, but all the things that aren't present are the sort of uh, really problematic racism of of emily murphy and Nellie mcclung and the eugenics policies they advocated but also other things that aren't so that's that's concealed but also what's concealed when you put up five women to stand in for first wave feminism there were so many other women working at the same time Who didn't share those racist politics like there are there were other options there were uh, there were very clearly anti-racist first-wave feminists and there were more socialist first-wave feminists those are some other things that are are sort of concealed when you put up a monument people think oh okay we've done we've got that history so so that's those are some of the things I talk about on on that tour. Is not just about the politics of monuments in general, but offer trying to offer some other alternative things that could be possible. Some other things that could be commemorated.
1: But if you take that example then of the famous five, say you're there and you're giving this context, mm-hmm. of what happens? Does anyone ever put up their hand and say, "What are you talking about? These are five great women. They pushed for suffrage. They pushed for women's rights. Sh- like, does anyone, yeah. does anyone, does anyone sort of surprised that you are presenting this at this setting that again I think most people would associate that type of a monument if you haven't seen it do google it that sort of site as being celebratory
0: yeah people are to be honest I think that there's a quite a clear um, selection bias of people who will sign up for a detour's walking okay, yeah. It. so yeah, that's true. it's not it's already sort of um, framed is not your average walking tour, so people are very primed and and ready to engage with alternative understand. Well, not alter- uh, with with critical takes on, right. on Canadian history and and monuments and so. Soci- so not not really the the people that I've given um, tours to have generally been really uh, curious and engaged and have lots of questions and.
1: Because, yeah, that social context, I think, is important, too, because I think of the War of 1812 monument that's on Parliament Hill as one that, if it's still there in 100 years, how people will look at it. Because right Mm -hmm. now, and I realize I'm not necessarily the market for really any monument, but that statue right now just screams of big C conservative politics. It fit in with what they're understanding of Canadian history was the narrative that they wanted to present about what this country is. Good or bad, that's what it was. I mean the, the big L liberal government is doing the same thing with other things mm-hmm. right now, presenting a narrative that they want. That's what governments do. But that statue or that monument is there in part, large part, because of that. In a hundred years people might just look at it as a war statue without having the context of why it was constructed. And that's the Mm -hmm. thing that I think is so good that what you do is that you help provide that context. But does it hurt the popular or the public understanding of history to have monuments that are put up in these types of contexts? Because every monument is in some sort of social context Mm -hmm. and there's a reason why it's there. And like you say, there's a reason why certain things aren't there. But for a public that may not be historians or sociologists, they might look at it. I think this is why you see what you see in the United States over the Confederate statues. People just say, this is our history. So they understand mm-hmm. the sites. They look at maybe a public history program that says, hey, monuments, public history, without really understanding truly what public history is actually all about and say, well, when you take it down, you're taking away the history. Mm-hmm. So like, how do we actually confront that dynamic? Because not everyone is going to go on a detour. Mm -hmm. or not everyone is going to read this context of it. So where do we find a balance between educating everyone about the meaning of monuments, the sociological meaning of monuments, Mm -hmm. without challenging this idea or without presenting it as overtaking away your history? Is that even possible?
0: Well, one thing that that I always uh, say about about monuments is that... um, is that they are sort of embodied with this deep ambivalence. So it's, it's very hard for me to just have a blanket disdain for, well, I do for a few, some (laughs) monuments, Uh, but there's always like, even if there's a monument you hate, it becomes, it can become a sort of like rallying site for asking bigger questions that go beyond monuments. Okay. So for me, it's like monuments are really, talking about monuments is really never just talking about monuments. If it was, I don't think I could keep talking about monuments yeah, for 15 yeah. years. Right. But, but uh, I mean, the, the War of 1812 monument is not a good example to prove my point because I don't think people really do anything there or engage critically with it, or you know, no, s- use it a as great... a site of protest or yeah. anything. It's I mean, it's like also not
1: the location of it doesn't lend itself to it either in part. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, but I think like there are a few monuments that I, I, I don't know. Would advocate for just. Can I answer this question? I feel like part of your question is like, can't we just, if we're going to do critical
1: readings of monuments, some monuments should be torn down. Well, no, that's not what I, that's not what I'm advocating. Mm-hmm. What I'm suggesting is, I don't think it's possible for us to provide the context and the critical awareness of mm-hmm. why monuments are there and what they are doing mm-hmm. as they're there without getting pushback from people saying you're trying to take away the history because I don't look as, look at monuments as pieces of history. I look at them as contemporary, Absolutely. almost yeah. more like architecture, yeah. which is constantly evolving and constantly changing. our understanding of mm-hmm. it is, but I think a large portion of the population looks at it as history. Right. So I, I'm just wondering if, There's some way to bridge the gap between people like you and me who approach them one way. And I think the vast majority of the public who looks at them as pieces of history.
0: You know what? This sort of reminds me of a lot of questions I had when I was beginning my research about methodology. um, Where people like during different stages like, well, how are you going to understand how people or if people care about monuments. Are you going to uh, do interviews at monuments? Are you going to survey people and ask them? And so at one point I did do some interviews and it was like in kind of intercept interviews at different moments at monuments and and it it both felt kind of like um inappropriate at some points depending on what people were at the monument for, but also uh, useless at other (laughs) points. Because, more. no, both are very important. Being appropriate is important, but it was useless because, for example, you go to the War Memorial um, for Remembrance Day or for something, and thousands of people are there. And you ask them, why are you here? They gave you the stock answer, right? Because we should, because they fought for our freedom, because all this sort of rhetoric we hear all the time. And I don't think that Really, sort of captures the potency of monuments. Mm, yeah. So for me, it's not really the, a question of like should the masses understand the sort of nuance, social and political weight of the monuments is less important right. than how are they meaningful in in these certain moments and maybe smaller communities. And I think that's more. sort of significant bit does that answer that
1: question i think so i think it does so what what i want to do now let's go and look at some monuments all right and we will come back and talk about what we see so we're going to do some stuff from the monuments and we'll come back and do a little wrap up so we are here at the memorial for aboriginal war veterans that have died here on elgin street across from the lord if you know ottawa at all we're right across from the lord elgin hotel Uh, Right at Confederation Park here, right by City Hall. Mm -hmm. So this is somewhere that you go on your tours.
0: Yes, absolutely. So this uh, monument, as you can see, it's called the National Aboriginal um, Veterans Memorial. And it was unveiled on National Aboriginal Day, which is National Indigenous Day now, in 2001. But it's history. So maybe first, Sean, you can describe for the viewers, or listeners, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what it looks
1: like. So it is a, a rather large stone base. Uh-huh. and on, on top of it, you have uh, an indigenous gentleman or a soldier uh, surrounded by animals. So there's a buffalo, a bear, a wolf, and then a, a, an eagle on top that is on like a staff. Of sorts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's the the soldiers surrounded by actually excuse me there's multiple soldiers now that I look uh-huh. on the other side so multiple soldiers surrounded by these animals that are largely associated with the Canadian wilderness.
0: Right. Yeah. So this monument came an idea in a very specific moment in Ottawa. Uh, it was unveiled as I said in 2001. In 1996 there was a monumental controversy just over that north of here yeah. at the Champlain monument because there there was for about 60 years uh, a barely clothed um, indigenous man crouched at the base of a monument to Champlain. So in the 1990s Chief uh, Ovid Macready came, he saw that, was appalled, um, started protesting and it became a big question. Um, the NCC eventually took the scout down and the scout was moved to Major Hills Park where you can still visit the scout and he was given he was named in an official naming ceremony just a few years ago Uh, but in that moment after that controversy one of the things that emerged was that Ottawa needs more positive representations of Indigenous people that come from and are designed by Indigenous people so Indigenous veterans rallied around this idea of producing this monument and it was designed by an Indigenous artist Lloyd uh, Pinay, as you can see, and it was designed to represent really uh, Indigenous people from across the country who participated in all the wars Canada's participated in. And Indigenous men in particular enlisted at a disproportionately high rate. Oh. So if I think it was like in the, in the two world wars, one in ten Canadians enlisted, but one in three Indigenous men enlisted. So they enlisted in a very high rate, but when they came home, they were not treated the same way non-Indigenous veterans were treated. In fact, some other veterans that were getting land in recognition of their service were getting land that was explicitly taken from Indigenous people. So Indigenous veterans enlisted at a a high rate and were not um, treated well on the return. So this is the context in which this monument was was sort of born. Um, What I love about this monument is that Indigenous veterans love this monument, so I cannot offer any sort of aesthetic or any other critique of it. It's well used by Indigenous people and Indigenous veterans. You can see this every November 11th. There are wreaths, there's um,
1: other offerings here,
0: and I'd like us to go around to the back.
1: Yeah, follow. Okay, Head to the back here. Uh, the park that now faces the park, yeah. as you look at it, where the uh, the buffalo and the uh, the moose. Moose? No, that's a. Uh, um, what is it? I don't
0: know. Where well, the who is the fit human figure? Describe.
1: Uh, so that appears to be a woman.
0: It is. It is a woman, and it is the as far as I can tell. The only representation of an Indigenous woman in Ottawa.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, and it is a, um, an unnamed Indigenous female veteran. Excellent that there's this representation, but it also sort of highlights the dearth of representations right. of Indigenous women. Indigenous men, in contrast, if you go to Parliament Hill, you will see, or Old Banks of Montreal, you will see Indigenous men carved into the facade. Mm-hmm alongside beavers and other sort of, of things, which very sort of fraught, problematic representations, but still there. Whereas Indigenous women have been sort of very much made invisible in this right. capital space. So I said one thing I love about it is the people that designed it and for, for people that it's for love it. Uh, one other sort of thing I'd, I'd like to highlight is that we have in... Ottawa, some other named uh, commemorations of Indigenous people, we have, well one in particular is at the Valiance Memorial, there's a monument to the uh, Mohawk leader, Joseph Brandt. And what both Joseph Brent and this statue do is they offer a positive representation of Indigeneity in the capital, but they're also both representations that line align perfectly with the sort of logic and the values of the Canadian nation state. Right. So what we don't have in Ottawa are any sort of commemorations to, uh, to uh, Louis Riel, Poundmaker, indigenous leaders and fighters that were working for indigenous people. Right. So for example, just over at City Hall,
1: there's a, should we wait for that? Yeah, as the uh, police paramedic, paramedic go by. Um, Just
0: over there, by City Hall, in front of the Drill Hall, there's an old 1888 monument to two white settler soldiers who fought in the Battle of Cutknife Hill, fighting against Poundmaker, Mm -hmm. and those, the, the Northwest Rebellions of 1885, were about clearing the land of indigenous people to make the railroad for this Canadian nation state building process. So it's like, it's excellent to have indigenous war veterans Memorial, but it also, we should think about what other indigenous leaders we don't commemorate in this national right. capital.
1: Right. So part of that, what's missing thing that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So with that, we're going to cross the street. We're going to go to right. the Canadian so,
0: tribute, Canadian tribute to human rights. That's, that's where right.
1: we're off to next. So we are now here at the Human Rights Monument. That's what I always call it. Yeah. I, I think there's a better name for it.
0: There's, a te- there's the technical name for it,
1: or the specific name. The Canadian Tribute to Human Rights is right. what it's called. So the Human Rights Monument. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's go with that. So this one is very, very different. This was one you can walk on and walk uh-huh. in and walk through. <laughs> there are words uh, here. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights in both official languages. Yep. Uh, so what do we know about this one this well one thing
0: if you're new to ottawa or not you will become acquainted with it very quickly because or if you pay any attention to any sort of social justice thing a lot of stuff happens at this monument this is one of the most actively used monuments in ottawa all seasons whenever there's a human rights violation uh people gather here, or they gather here for vigils, to mourn. Um, the Women's March, right after Trump was inaugurated, took started here and uh, did a loop around. A bunch of other marches go through here, or go from the Human Rights Monument to Parliament Hill, mm-hmm. the Human Rights Monument to the police station down the street, or another very popular route, the Human Rights Monument to the Women's Monument in Minto Park,
1: which is right. a Violence Against Women monument. few right. people fewer people know about but you but you should yeah and it's about four blocks south down Elgin Street give or take yeah uh, less than a kilometer certainly
0: yeah so it's a very well used monument uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the history of, of the monument it's from this bus. so in the 1980s there was a group in Ottawa of um, Polish people in Ottawa and they were wanting to do something to show solidarity with the Solidarność movement going on in Poland. So they appealed to City Hall. They said, we have an idea. Could you please change the name of Daily Ave to Solidarność Ave? In solidarity. Any guesses, Sean? Why Daily Ave?
1: Uh, Daily Ave? In Sandy um, Hill. Yes, it is in Sandy Hill, which is where the University of Ottawa is. Mm-hmm. I've walked down that street many a time. Mm-hmm. Is there a former...
0: There,
1: Polish embassy. Polish embassy. Polish embassy. There you go. So the city. Oh, sorry. Said, why they wanted to change? Yeah. I thought you were asking mm-hmm. why it was daily app. No. Oh, okay. no.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, so the, Pol- mayors, the Polish. Yes. The Polish embassy is. Yeah. The Polish oh, emb- embassy is on daily app, so that's why they picked it. And the city is like, no, we're not going to insult the the tenants of the street. So clearly, so no. Okay. So the group decided. Well, how about? Let's wait for those motorcycles. Yeah. Instead of that, um, we pool our resources to build a monument to human rights in general. That idea took off like gangbusters. Everybody was behind it. They quickly fundraised. All political parties supported it. All sorts of, of faith groups supported it. Unions support individuals, authors. Everybody gave money because it's an easy thing to sort of vaguely, broadly embrace, right? Yeah, it's
1: hard to be against human rights. (laughs)
0: Yeah, right. It really is. (laughs) And they're like, well, it's about, it's the first Canadian international, Canadian monument to international human rights and and et cetera. Uh, So everybody loved it. And now, and one thing, people think that this monument's like government art or something. It is not. It is a grassroots citizens thing. So now I'll tell you a bit about the monument itself.
1: Let's do it. Because it's, it's the shape of it, the design of it is Seems unique.
0: Brutalist and yeah, yeah. It's Yeah. It's made out of um, concrete and granite, sort mm. of austere yeah. material. It doesn't have the warmth of a figurative statue so much. Well, this is the design of a Montreal-based designer, Melvin Charney. And what he was doing with it was speaking to the National War Memorial down the street. Okay. So down the street, you have an arch with 22 bronze soldiers and horses charging through. Yeah. Here you have a granite arch with the first line of the UN declaration of human rights on it. Yeah. And sort of concrete anthropomorphized beams. Mm. And the idea is the very sort of straightforward logic is down there, soldiers, they fought for freedom, birth of the nation. here. It's the people who can walk through the monument, people that are alive today, that uphold Mm. the values of human rights. Isn't that nice?
1: That is really nice. So they work in concert, really.
0: They totally work. And on the top of the beams, we have equality, dignity, and rights. So those are the Mm. big ideas. But, early on, in the, the life of the monument, the committee realized that... Oh, one sidebar before I go to that. The first draft of this monument didn't have the first line of the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights. It had a line from a speech by the Solidarność leader, Lech Wałęsa, and it was something about following a path to dignity and something like that. So there's this path idea. Um, That line was swapped out for this line at the suggestion of John Humphreys, who incidentally wrote (laughs) <laughs> the first okay. light, and there's a plaque to John Humphreys along here. Okay, there are lots of plaques you can hear. There are them. a lot of plaques. This along monument here. Yeah. is well interpretive. Yes, it. but now let's go inside the monument. Yeah,
1: let's do it. All right. So if you've never been to Ottawa, there's some steps up here that are parallel to Elegant Street that we are walking up now, uh, and sort of a ramp that goes down after you go through the arch, as we walk through the arch through, through right the arch. now. And we can see here we're in the monument. So early in the monument's history,
0: they realized that having the idea equality, dignity, and rights in English and French was not uh, sufficient. So it took them a few decades, but the committee and fundraising and a lot of work with linguists they translated those three concepts mm-hmm. into over 70 indigenous languages wow and so all these plaques have indigenous translations for dignity equality and rights wow and they're also positioned in sort of geographical order
1: oh as to where so, these where these nations are
0: yeah so the northern languages here we have a here oh, and, the, yeah, yeah. and the east Eastern languages over here.
1: Oh, interesting. So it works, and it works geographically with the city, too. Like, sort of east,
0: yeah. like east
1: is that. Like, it's not yes. just sort of on the monument. Yes. saying up, right, left. Like, yes. it's sort of actually that direction on the city. And then there's a land uh, statement as well, uh, acknowledging that this is the traditional territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabe people.
0: Yes. And this, so this you can see it was installed at the same time as these language plaques. And it is great because, as I said earlier, um, we have commemorations of Indigenous soldiers. We also have sort of uh, imported totem poles that have very sort of fraught and interesting histories Mm -hmm. in Ottawa. But there are fewer commemorations and recognition of the uh, local Indigenous people that Ottawa uh, is on unceded land. So we have this here, and there's a new... Also, monument right outside City Hall, so that's a good one right. to
1: check. And there's actually three languages, the land statement, English, French, and I'm assuming that's Algonquin uh, as well. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And and with these things, you can sort of see, again, how it's a living yes. uh, monument, certainly. Yeah. And, and you can see each of the, the translations is numbered as well.
0: Oh, yeah, there's um, a map down here. So
1: you can actually figure out... <laughs> yeah. Which is which, if you don't speak that language, you can figure out which language which is so now. We head down the ramp towards the uh, end of it. And there is a map right at the foot of the monument that explains all the different languages and where they are located on the map. So how uh-huh. cool? that's pretty cool.
0: Yes. So this monument is really sort of embodies this idea that monuments are not reflections of the past, but they're really about doing reflecting something and producing an idea about a present society so right. what do we want to be
1: and i just the said they're, they're very active it's very actively used so it's a constantly evolving constantly being used by my, the public
0: my one critique of this monument is this
1: addition here so there's it, it, it it's in the shape of almost like a like a parking thing you know when you go into a, a a parking lot, mm. there's those like concrete things at this mm. end of the space. It's sort of in that shape and it has all the major donors to the monument yeah. since 1993.
0: Yeah, I just don't like that.
1: It kinda <laughs> yeah, it kind of takes away from it no. a little monument bit. The
0: monument shouldn't be to the funders of, of the
1: monument. Right. I don't have
0: anything monument. more critical to say except I don't like it. All right.
1: Fair yeah. enough. Alright, so now we're gonna head back to the studio. Yes. And uh, we'll sort of wrap up and, and break down what we just saw. Great. Alright, we are back from Monuments. Very exciting. Thank you, Tanya. That was fun. Great. So now that we're here, uh, I want to give you my extremist position. And I want to just know what you think as a All sociologist right. who studies these things. Mm-hmm. Now, because I get the sense that when we put up a statue or when we name something after someone, because this is these two things are, are I think, related. Absolutely. S- that creates a very celebratory thing. That we're, It's like we're celebrating that individual. So my position mm-hmm. is... Don't name anything after anyone Uh and don't put up any statues to individuals because in doing so, you almost deify them and it doesn't allow for a critical examination of who they are. So when the President of the United States, for instance, says, oh, if they want to take down this one, what's next? George Washington? My answer is, yeah, George Washington. (laughs) Take that one down too. And if you Mm -hmm. want to put up monuments to commemorate events, to commemorate moments. I'm good with that because I think that is more subtle. It allows for context, Mm -hmm. but don't put it up to a person where you don't allow for context. You're deifying the person. You don't allow space to critically understand them because at our core, human beings are flawed. Every human being that's ever existed is flawed. And to put up a statue, I think, takes away from that. It takes away from the humanity of that individual. So I say don't name stuff after people. Don't put up statues to individuals. Commemorate acts. Commemorate moments. But not people. Social movements, maybe. Yeah. like, So if you take, say, the Famous Five, for instance, yeah. don't have it be about the people. Sure, have it be yeah. about what they accomplished she, for women's yeah. rights. Mm-hmm. And that makes it more, to me, more reflective of what they did, one, and two, it doesn't deify them and it allows space for the critical examination of the things that you talked about in the first part of our our conversation. So that would be my position on it, Mm. but I realize that for a lot of my built heritage friends, that may be somewhat extremist. And I know for members of the public who I've talked to or friends of mine who are not historians, they find that rather extremist as well. So as someone who studies these things, I would like to know what you think about what I've been told is a somewhat extremist (laughs) position. Okay.
0: I'm going to answer by way of another story. Love it. But it is supporting your radical position. Okay. So one of the things about... You may be familiar with this monument that's quite close to here, the National War Memorial. Yeah, which we just the, saw yeah, actually yeah.
1: We were over uh, just, yeah,
0: right there. Well, the thing part of the the great sort of power of the National War Memorial is that it is all about the citizen soldier, right? Yeah. It is it is exactly what you are describing. It's about a moment in history and it, it is representing sixty thousand Canadians who lost their lives. And it is so powerful. There was a, a vigil in two thousand and eight. Where they light projected names on the monument as oh. a spiritual and people would come and they saw their great uncles and it was very moving. Right. But also the night lighting, like when they, the big shadow, very powerful. Right. That for me sort of really captures the potential of monuments in a way that is radically different in the very close More contemporary Valiance Memorial, Mm -hmm. which is a monument of the fourteen soldiers, named soldiers, some of whom, like Arthur Curry, also have sort of fraught histories. Right? He was he sued a newspaper for libel because (laughs) they were criticizing him after after the war. So I think that you can point to that when you're having your conversations with your your friends and family and say, Well, what do you find more meaningful? The war memorial? With a valiance memorial.
1: Right. And, and to put it in sort of that military context, too, having worked with the Vimy Foundation, having been in in Belgium and France, I was struck by certainly Menengate and Vimy are like that, that there are individual names on them, mm-hmm. but they're more representative of the whole than mm-hmm. anything else. The Ring of Remembrance is another one that's sort of the, the the totality of it. And there weren't many places that we went to that were named after people. Mm -hmm. It was sort of representative of the whole thing, or a lot of, were just pure location-based. And that, I liked that. It it spoke to the Mm -hmm. moment in time, as opposed to necessarily the person. And there are ways to honor people or the act of, I think the Victoria Cross is a perfect example of this, Mm -hmm. if we're going to stay with military stuff, that it doesn't honor the person and everything they did. It honors that heroic, valorous act. Mm -hmm. And that I really like, because... It it just it just allows for context. It allows for a critical, full understanding of, of a person, and that's what I think we need to do more of. And not just maybe even in history, just in general, is get away from hero worship the or, cult of the individual. Yeah, the yeah, cult of personality, sure. which certainly is a big part of North American life, and always has always been. Right, celebrities have been a big part of North America for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just part of that. But if we can get a Away from it in our memorialization and our public history in terms of built public history mm-hmm. I think we could be better off I
0: don't I don't think that's that radical of a position we and we have other sort of examples in Ottawa the Corktown cross and the Corktown bridge yep. are both commemorating the the canal builders from yep. the county of Cork um, there's a street in uh, Gatineau which I'm going to pronounce incorrectly, sorry, listeners, <laughs> Les Allumière. I think that's okay. named, and that is named for the matchstick girls, so mm. women who made matches, and they many of them died of this awful fossy, fossy jaw Oh. Thing, because of all the okay. chemicals. Yeah. Uh, but that is like a worker's, so both of those are workers' heritage right. commemorations that are also commemorating people in time and place that were sort of foundational for building where we are. Yeah. 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 There are
1: many. Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of my takeaway from it, but we would (laughs) encourage everyone to go on a detour if you're in Ottawa. And
0: there are, I do detours on Ottawa, but um, there are also other great detours on the Central Experimental Farm, on uh, different architecture tours. There's a great sort of lineup.
1: Yeah. So check them out online. We will link to it in the uh, write-up at activehistory.ca. And we'll we'll have some photos, too, of where we just were. If if you've never been here, we'll put up some photos. And you can also Google image all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But get out there and see the monuments if you're in Ottawa or even where you are. There's monuments. There's public history stuff everywhere across the country. Certainly there's going to be some sort of cenotaph or or war memorial in pretty much every community across the country. So go out. Check them out. Do some research. Figure out why they're there. And uh, let us know what you think. So tanya davidson thank thank you very much so there you have it our conversation with tanya davidson and again i would thank her for coming on a couple years ago this has been one of the most downloaded episodes that we had ever run and i certainly think it's all credited to tanya because she is wonderful on the show and just in general as well i've I've very much enjoyed spending time with tanya over the years and uh, thank her for coming on And thank you for listening to the show. Please do let me know what you think. This is one of these issues where I know that there are a lot of people who disagree with me on this. And I don't think there is a firm right answer on public commemoration or the commemoration of people in public spaces. I certainly feel strongly about my position on the issue, but I recognize that I think I'm in the minority with respect to that position. So let me know what you think either in the comments or you can reach out to me on Twitter at the Sean Graham. Be nice though, you know. Twitter is not always the nicest place, so. If you're going to reach out on Twitter, let's have a productive, congenial discussion. You can also find me, HistorySlam, at gmail.com. That'll give you a little more space. So please let me know what you think. It's a debate that I follow pretty closely in the news and something that uh, I'm always curious to know what other folks think about. So do let me know. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Give us the likes the ratings comment on the show that helps other people find us helps the show grow keeps us going and of course as always do head over to activehistory.ca uh, some new content over there this week so do check that out and if you missed last week our discussion with ornelas and imana about sports and the representation of sports particularly in the area of race do check that out that was in collaboration with the game of stones podcast Head on over to GameofStonesPod.com. We are selling t-shirts. There's a gray, red, and black t-shirt available with the Game of Stones logo on it. All the proceeds from those sales are going to Foodbanks Canada. And we are matching those contributions as well. So you buy a t-shirt, it's like a double donation to Food Banks Canada. So please head over to GameofStonesPod.com. And check that out. But as I always like to say, if you don't want a t-shirt and you just want to donate to Food Banks Canada or your local food bank, you're not going to get any arguments here. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with you on a new episode next week. But until then, if you're out, and see Enrico Palazzo. Please say hi for me.